Welcome to Foundry Radio. This commission series looks at what Matthew 28 teaches about obedience, worship, authority and action. Episode 5, Action. Hello and welcome back to Commission. This is the penultimate episode in this mini-series, just looking at a few keys, again drawn from our fireside conversations around the Great Commission uh, part of the Foundry family fireside stuff, just in obedience to the Spirit of God, and I guess with a real heart and passion to encourage, provoke some of you to take another look at this incredibly significant passage. Uh, we're just wanting to bring these keys. We've looked at obedience, uh, we've looked at worship and authority, and for this uh, episode, I just want to look at the very simple fact that this commission is a commission to act. It is a call to action. This is about the go of the gospel. And, and we cannot fulfill the Great Commission intellectually or by pondering it. We have to at some point engage and do the very things that God has prepared us to do. Let's read the verse quickly and uh, and we'll get stuck in. So just as a recap, Matthew 28, Jesus has called his disciples uh, through those first evangelists, the women, they came to the disciples and told them that Jesus was alive and that he wanted to see them at this mountain in Galilee. And they came, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then we read that Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here comes the commission. Therefore, on that basis, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you even to the very end of the age. I love that final promise. I love the fact in, that the uh, Great Commission is bookended by these statements from Jesus about Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the basis. Therefore, on that basis, go and make disciples of all nations. But this glorious promise at the end, which again, each of us needs to ask, what does this mean for me? How am I experiencing this? Am I walking in it? Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. But just look at it again. I'm going to pull it out one more time. Just look at the verbs in here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If we're to fulfill the Great Commission, we have to at least ask, what does it mean for me to go? What does it mean for me to make disciples? Again, not just in nations, but of nations. We're all called to different things. Some of us are called to reach our neighbours. Some of us are called to reach our work colleagues or you know, there'll be a focus. We're actually called to scatter seed wherever we go and to love people into the kingdom. But there are those amongst us who are called to reform villages, cities, to bring transformation structurally at an extraordinary level, to bring prophetic justice and administration and actually to disciple cities and, and towns and regions and even nations. So we're to go, we're to make disciples, we're to baptise them, we're to teach them. These are four verbs, four things that we are to do if we're to fulfill the Great Commission. And so I just want to draw out some of the things that I've learned, um, some of the things that came out of our fireside conversations. Again, what does it mean to walk in the go of the gospel? And it's amazing. You know, you read um, the book of Acts. So we have these first five books in the New Testament uh, about Jesus's life, about what he achieved through his perfect life, his death on the cross and his resurrection. We see those uh, that story with four kind of different perspectives in Matthew, Mark 
Luke and then John. And then the fifth book of the New Testament written by Luke, who wrote Luke, is the book of Acts. And some people like to think of it as the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Other people like to say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's very clearly both when you read it. So Luke writes his gospel. He's he's a well-researched physician, well-researched account of Jesus's life in the gospel of Luke. Very detailed, very much looking at, at Jesus's humanity. And then he writes in the first verse of the book of Acts, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus is either um, a real person or it's a code for the one who loves God, Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is really clear as the Holy Spirit is given in Acts 2. So Jesus is there in person in Acts 1, similar to the Great Commission. And interestingly, where he says go in Matthew 28, he says wait in in Jerusalem. He tells his first disciples, you to wait until you're clothed with power from on high and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a wait immediately after the go. But when you read it and you see God at work through his people, even in the waiting and whether they're eating and drinking and sharing bread, whatever they are doing, the whole tenor and culture and movement of their hearts and bodies, minds and bodies, it's like heart, soul and strength. They are engaged in this great mission of God, everything about them. And again, it's not like they're they're just going scattergun here, there and everywhere. There are moments of gathering, moments of resting, moments of prayer. But but ultimately what this early church is is all about is fulfilling this great commission to go to make to baptize to teach and they're prepared to put their lives on the line they're prepared to lose everything to go to prison to face rejection to face hardship to face torture to face death to sell their homes and their fields and bring money to the apostle put it at the apostles feet so that this great commission can go forth and people can be saved like the whole impetus of the book of acts is a provocation to us i think in the west in these days they are always on the go of the gospel is alive even when they're resting even when they're waiting on the lord everything about them is like we exist to fulfill this great commission paul who's converted in the book of acts from an enemy of christ an enemy of the church into one of its kind of most powerful proponents powerful evangelists um, apostles establishing churches all over the place he says in one uh, philippians 121 for to me to live is christ and to die is gain and if for you or for me to live is christ well it is to live with him for him for his mission he could have taken us into this new existence there's going to be a day where he wipes every tear from our eye there's no sickness there's no sadness no sorrow you know you can interpret that how you like think about all the stuff that plagues you there's no genuinely no sickness there's no death there's no backbiting there's no personal failure there's no being let down by others there's no wars there's no conflict there's no deception corruption nothing like that that is what awaits us once we've been saved and yet the Lord has chosen to leave his people on earth in conflict in all the complexity of human life in our own failure in in division all sorts of stuff that is not right why has he left us so that we can go so that we can make so that we can baptize so that we can teach and so I just want to draw out a few things that I've learned a few things that came from these fireside chats what does it mean for us to go in the go of the gospel? What does it mean for us to fulfill the Great Commission, to take action when we hear or read these words of Jesus, this Great Commission? Just a few things. The first thing is that to go and make disciples is firstly to be 
a disciple ourselves. And so I just want to share uh, right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry with his disciples in Matthew chapter four. We see him calling those first disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John. They are fishermen off the Sea of Galilee. He sees them and he calls them. And this beautiful line uh, honestly, I remember the Lord speaking to me about this years ago as a blueprint for discipleship. This is what my discipleship looks like. And this is what I'm calling others into when I go and make disciples. There's a blueprint for action in here. And Jesus says this to these brothers, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The more well-known rendering of that last part is I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men or I will send you out to fish for people. It's another call to action. And before the go of the gospel, before the go of the Great Commission, there is the come, follow me of discipleship. And let's just take a look at it really quickly. The blueprint for discipleship is always to come. It always involves leaving something behind for these brothers. I mean, in a Western context, what they did seems extraordinary, but they left their family business. They left their boats, it literally says. They left their nets. All of these things had value. They were important. They could have been stolen, taken away. James and John even leave their, their father, Zebedee, to run the family business. But these four men come. They literally come away from stuff to follow Jesus. And Jesus is so clear that anyone who would follow him must take up their cross daily and follow him, that there's a reward in the new, you know, the, the life to come. But even on this life, there is a reward for those that will leave father and mother and brothers and sisters and fields and family and friends for his sake. If you live in a in a Muslim state or a communist state or any kind of state where where, where there's hostility towards Christ and his people, then it becomes very clear what you're leaving behind. You're leaving safety, security, you're leaving honour, ad admiration, affluence. All sorts of things are being left behind. There is a come inherent in discipleship, which means leaving something or, and someone behind in order to follow Jesus. That's the second part. The first part is the leaving, the coming away. The second part is following Jesus himself. It's walking with him. It's the golden thread that runs through the Bible, particularly in the New Covenant, but it runs through our talks here as well for the Great Commission. It is the invitation to follow the one who has all authority in heaven and earth and, and who is, has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. His name is Emmanuel. You are one with him in spirit. If you're in Christ, whoever's united with him, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so the, this invitation to discipleship, if we're going to make disciples, we need to be disciples. We come away, we count the cost, we pay the price. We follow Christ, not just once, in some sort of verbal or intellectual ascent, we tick a box, we sign, we say a prayer. No, it means daily to make Jesus your pursuit. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You fix your eyes on him, you fix your thoughts on him and you follow him. And in the process of that, he will make you to be a fisher of men or actually some of that statement is it's broadly true there's a a currency in that phrase that applies to every believer we are called to snatch others from the flames jude says we're called to save souls to seek and save the lost all of these phrases are from the bible and so in a very real sense we're all called to fish for men and yet the lord was speaking to these men at a particular time they were fishermen they had learned to fish for fish and Jesus is showing them in the same way he's going to teach them to cast nets. You remember Matthew 13, Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven was like a dragnet. He's going to teach them to act 
and to, he's, he's going to call them, commission them to act in a way which causes men and women and children to be caught up in the net of the kingdom and brought to new life brought to this family and so these components you come away from something you leave it you count the cost you pay the price you commit to walking with jesus and in that you become the very person that god intended you to be whether it's a city shaper a neighbor reacher an intercessor um, someone who brings social transformation to one person to a family to a region to a whole issue a slave abolisher you know it doesn't matter that 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 blueprint for discipleship is there. What are you leaving behind? How are you walking with Christ? What are you becoming? And 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 that's being a disciple. But actually, in the process of going to make disciples, we apply the same blueprint to others. Jesus saw these fishermen. He saw what they would be. What he saw in them was fishers of men. Others hadn't seen that. They, they took note in Acts. The people took note that these were ordinary, uneducated men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus and in the being with Jesus remember that second part of the blueprint they became something else in fact they became people who turned the world upside down is what is how they're described in acts Jesus saw them and he saw what they would become and he called them to follow him and in the following in the journeying with him they became something else now years ago when my kids were little we used to play this game in the street just when we would we'd be walking along side by side one or other of them would hang back and they knew what was coming and I knew what was coming and I would grab one of their hands and I would just try not to dislocate their shoulder I would swing them up alongside me they'd be they'd go past me just in a moment and without scattering them across the floor or anything but with enough force that there's a force bigger than them I would propel them forward and they'd run off down the street laughing and then we'd probably do it again but they loved playing that game just a simple little thing while we were walking down the street and one day when I did it I felt the Lord saying to me this is what discipleship is there are people who are behind you in the journey of life people who don't yet know christ people who don't have life because they don't have the son i mean it's a provocative statement but it's a truth in the bible john writes it whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son does not have life it might be it might be someone caught up in addiction or depression it might be caught someone caught up with low self-esteem it might be someone caught up in poverty it might be someone caught up with success and pride and materialism and comfort and all these things but whatever it is they have they can have the world but they don't have christ and so you see them behind you in the journey of life in the way the way is jesus and so you reach out to them and you say to them come follow me just as jesus said it to those disciples and he says it to us directly there, there is a, a process by which we call people to follow us Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We call people to walk with us. You remember my kids were with me just for a moment in time and then they went ahead of me and we uh, we call them. We say, come, leave that stuff behind. Come and be with me. Come and spend time with me. And I see this in you. This is who you are going to become. Right at the end of Acts, the go of the gospel in full effect again. Paul, this guy who hated Christians and acted all the time to kill and to imprison and to stop the flow of the word and the way by the end of Acts, in the last chapter, he is under guard. He's in prison in Rome. He knew he was going to Rome, but he's come there as a prisoner and he's under house arrest. And it says this beautiful thing right at the end of Acts that he welcomed everyone who came to him and he taught them about Jesus and about the kingdom without hindrance. That's amazing, isn't it? The go of the gospel in full effect, even though he's under arrest and he's in prison. And that's what we do. We welcome people. We say, come, follow me. I see this in you. Come and journey with me for a while. And then you send them on their way 
to make disciples of their own. There's another verse that's so key in this process. John 14, verse 12, Jesus, who is the leader of leader, king of kings, God himself, full of wisdom and understanding. Like there is there is and never has been a leader like Jesus Christ in the human race. And he looks at his disciples in John 14, 12, who to this point have not shown themselves to be leadership potential, leadership material. But he looks at them and says this incredible statement, whoever believes in me will do the things I do and even greater things because I'm going to the Father. And he proceeds to teach them in John 14 about the gift of the Holy Spirit that is coming, that is going to turn these fearful men who bicker and they want the best seat, but they don't have the courage to ask for it. And they, they're divided about who's better and who's worse and they get it wrong. And Peter's making these threats of he's going to die before Jesus dies and all this stuff is going on. And Jesus sees in them the potential again for who they'll be. And he says, you, you with the spirit of God are going to do the things I do. And the 12 and the 72 are sent out to do the miracles Jesus did and to preach the gospel. He said, you're going to do the things I do and even greater things because I'm going to the father. And there was a point in my life years ago where the Lord brought this scripture to life. He literally said to me, look at my heart. And it's the heart of a discipler to want his disciples to go further than him, to have more success. We were planting out of our congregation at the time, a really dear friend, one of my most beloved brothers, and I loved having him on team. And there was a sense of God calling him back to his hometown and we were going to plant there. And this God spoke to me about this verse during that time. He said, look at my heart. And I realized that at the heart of making disciples is, is this heart of Jesus. It is for us to say to those that we're raising, those that we're loving, those that we're journeying with, is for, the, for us to say, come for a moment, come and do the things I do, but go off and do even greater things because the spirit of God is in you. And I see that you are this. And for me personally, in that moment, something genuinely switched and snapped and any insecurity was gone. I knew that if if this guy, a dear brother of mine, went to this new town and if his all the outward signs of growth and health and everything went super well for him, if his if his congregation exploded in size and there were miracle signs and wonders and and the one I was part of, of course, I want to be care. I wanted to care for the people I want there to. But I knew that if by every human metric, what he was doing appeared more successful than what I was doing, I would rejoice without any fear without any uh, bitterness or insecurity. God had worked something in me that has stayed to this day. I not only want, but I believe for those that I'm discipling to do greater things than me. And that is how the kingdom advances. So to go and to make disciples means to be a disciple yourself, to pay the price, to count the cost, to follow Jesus moment by moment. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. It means to become the very person God has intended, the unique person, the living stone that God has intended for you to become, that you are his handiwork. He's created you for good works that he's prepared for you to do in advance. Ephesians 2.10, he has written scrolls about you. It's not just King David, Psalm 139, but before a single day of your life comes to pass, it's written about in his books like he loves you you are unique and you'll only become the person he intends you to be by following Jesus but we apply that same process to others we say come follow me come and walk with me actor for a little while come and walk with me for a little while and do the things I'm doing but then go off and do even greater things than me I believe it I want it I pray for it this is the blueprint for discipleship and it's where the go of the gospel builds momentum as as each successive generation is believed in 
to do more than the generation before, then the Great Commission will be fulfilled. The goal of the gospel is to be a disciple. It also means to know your assignment. This is so important as well. And to this breaks my heart that many Christians I meet don't have a strong sense of their assignment on earth. And I mean unique assignment or even this assignment for the season or even the sense of purpose for the day that the Lord has a plan for them that day. Many of the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord ordains his steps. You better believe that there is a race marked out before you that we're to run with perseverance again that there are these good works that he's created for you to do he created you for good works that he prepared in advance for you to do there's a race marked out for you by his own hand there are plans and purposes that he has for you and 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 it's the most amazing thing to know the assignment of god for your life you know paul will write in many of his letters i paul an apostle of jesus christ sent to the gentiles or by the grace of god an apostle he knew what he was And I'm not saying you need to find out whether you're an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a shepherd or a teacher, but you'll begin as you walk with Jesus to know your assignment for your life and for the season and for the day. And it's so important. Jesus knew his assignment. John uh, chapter 17 and verse four, when he's praying in the garden before his crucifixion, and he says, I have brought glory to you on earth, Father, by doing the thing, by doing the work, completing the work that you gave me to do i have brought glory to you father by completing the work that you gave me to do it's incredible he set his face like flint he knew he was going to jerusalem he knew and he told his disciples that he would be handed over he executed the plan you know he's in total control throughout that process but he knew his assignment he completed it he could even say it was completed before he died on the cross because he had set in his heart to know and to do the will of his father it's a call to action It's not just Jesus. It is literally every child of God throughout Acts. They know they pray and the Lord shows them. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for my purposes. They want to go here, but the Lord closes the way. He sends a dream and a vision of a man of Macedonia to Paul and says, come this way. The Lord knows and he knows what the assignment is for each one and for each congregation and fellowship. And they know because they seek him for that assignment. Paul, beautiful example in Romans chapter 15. Paul says, I've longed to come and be with you, church in Rome, brothers and sisters. I've longed to come and be with you. But I saw that there were all these places. This is me paraphrasing Romans 15. He said, I saw there were all these places that did not know Christ. He'd never been preached. He preached. He was not known. And so he resolved, Paul resolves to go to all of these places between Jerusalem and Illyricum. And he says, I I, I wanted to come to you, but I couldn't come because I, I'd resolved to go to this and to preach Jesus where he was not known. And then he says this beautiful thing, but I'm coming to you now because there is no place left. The assignment was completed. How many of you would love to have that level of detail. This is my assignment for the season. This is the assignment for my life. I think God reveals that incrementally, bit by bit, as we grow and as we go with him. But to know within the the broad commission of the Great Commission, the broad call to action, what is your assignment for this season? Paul knew it. And again, we see blueprints and patterns. Philippians 2 tells us about Jesus, that Jesus being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took on the likeness of a servant and he and he and he humbled himself even to death 
on a cross. That was his assignment, was to leave the comfort and the glory and the joy and the peace and the wholeness of this seat in heaven that he shared with his father and to come instead to a hostile and dark place to be the light of the world in a dark place and to bring the truth of God's love and kingdom to a dying people. And you see the parallel again with Paul in Romans 15. I long, everything in me wants to come and be with you in family, be in fellowship, be in safety, be in comfort, be in a place where I'm welcomed, where I'm known. Everybody knows my name. Everybody loves me. And I know no church is more complex than that, but you see the man's heart, everything. I was longing to come and be with you, but there was a need, but there was darkness. Christ was not known. And so my assignment was to go but now I'm coming because there's no place left. Jesus left the comfort and the comfortable place to come into darkness, to preach the gospel, to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. And Paul does the same. Jesus does it through Paul. He does it through us. Leave your comfort behind. Come, follow me, said Jesus. Leave your comfort behind. Get up and go. Go to where Christ is not known. Go to hearts of darkness and let God use you to speak. Let there be light into their lives, into their hearts. This is the call of the gospel. It is to, it's to be a disciple. It's to know your assignment. And then finally, just a, a last key, uh, very practical. It sounds quite whimsical, but it's just uh, for me and many of my friends, many of us in the foundry and, and beyond this little <laughs> Huh. I call it three, two, one, go. That's why I'm hesitating because it sounds so twee. It's just like the beginning of a race, three, two, one, go. And yet the Lord showed me that the go of the gospel is fulfilled in this way. Because if you distill down 66 books of the Bible, church history, there are three things that the word of God says that we're to do. And if we do them, everything else that we might do will be umbrellaed and, and encapsulated in these three things that we're to do. And they're the two great commands. Matthew 22, Jesus teaches on this, the two great commandments and the great commission is the third one. In a nutshell, every believer is called to love God and to love their neighbor as their self. And, and if we do that, Jesus said, you'll fulfill every other law of God, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the rest of the law and the prophets and everything is encapsulated in those two things. You know, the Ten Commandments break down. The first ones are all about love God. The other ones are all about love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus says, do that. Everything else is covered. And then he says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we've got three things, three things to do. And yet the Lord showed me that if I just, if I will just walk in those first two, love God, love your neighbor, the outflow of that lifestyle of loving God moment by moment of, of choosing to love the person or people in front of me at every moment, regardless of cost to self, regardless of what's going on, regardless of how I feel, but to choose in the moment to love God and love that person in front of me. Guess what happens? You make disciples. Those that know Christ will grow as you love God and love them, as you choose to love them, as you choose to Philippians 2 again, prefer others, think of others more highly than yourself as you as you walk in love and humility and say, Lord, there's a person in front of me. There's people who's your neighbor. It's the one right next to you. It's your family member. It's your it's your colleague. It's the person in the supermarket or at the petrol kiosk or the person in the park. It's the person on TV that you're watching that you might feel angry with. It might be a politician or somebody that irritates you. 
as you love, you're not going to disciple someone through the TV, but you get what I mean. As you choose moment by moment to love God and to love the person in front of you, the byproduct of it, the holy, glorious overflow of it is that you will make disciples. And so there's three things, but there's only actually two things, because if you'll triangulate by loving God and loving the person in front of you, if you'll love God and love the person in front of you, you will make disciples. So three things, but actually there's only two things. But then comes the question, how do we love people perfectly? How do you love people perfectly? Jesus as a model, what would Jesus do? I think we've touched on this in previous talks as well, but it's worth saying again, as a model, Jesus doesn't give us a blueprint for how to love people, except that he only does what he sees the father doing. So he loves this one by saying, come follow me, knowing that they will. But he loves this one, the rich young ruler. It literally says he, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he says, come follow me, knowing that he won't because he can't give up his great wealth. He says to the Gadarene man who's who's been healed, like he's in his right mind. And he says, Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus says, no, don't follow me. Go to the surrounding villages and tell them what I've done. Because he was famous in his demonization, his violence. He was famous. Jesus said, go and tell people what I have done. But then the leper at the beginning of Mark, Jesus heals him and he says, go and don't tell anybody what I've done. He challenges and corrects some people, especially the Pharisees, but others as well. He will bring strong correction and challenge. But with the woman at the well in John 4, he doesn't seem to call out her sin. He doesn't say to her, go and sin no more the way he does uh, to the woman caught in adultery. He literally just says to her, it's like a word of knowledge. The man you're with at the moment is not your husband. And you've been married X amount of times before. And she goes to her town and says, come and see this man. Come and meet this man who told me everything I ever did. There's no strong challenge or calling out of sin. I'm sure God dealt with that stuff later on. But in that moment, his way of loving her was to listen to hear that she had been taught about Messiah, to teach her that the time was coming and even now is at hand where she would worship God in spirit and in truth and then to bring the word of knowledge. How do you know if somebody that you're discipling drifts from you and actually you fear they've drifted from God? How do you know if they're a lost sheep? Jesus said with the lost sheep, if if there's a a lost sheep, then the, the good shepherd leaves the 99 and day and night pursues that one. The modern equivalent of text messages, calls turning up at their house to win them back and bring them back to the flock. How do you know if they're a sheep or a lost son? The wisdom of the parable of the lost son is that the son who wished his father dead, took his inheritance, went off and lived in sin, spending the money on on prostitutes, on gambling, on food and wine, ending up with no food, no money, no friends. But suddenly remembering that even his servants, his father's servants live better than this. Maybe I'll go back and and he'll and, and he goes back in humility and the father is waiting for him. It literally says while while the son was still a long way off, he's covered in rubbish, he's poor, he's destitute. While the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and ran to him, throws his arms around him, a new robe, a new ring, new shoes, a feast because he's celebrating my son who was dead is now alive. How do you know if the person you're discipling is a sheep to be pursued or a son to be loved from afar and wait and you wait until they return? You don't know except by the spirit of God. And you see, this is where it becomes three. Love God, love your neighbor, make disciples. It goes to two, love God, love others, and you will make disciples. To simply, if you if you can only manage one thing, you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Matthew 22, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, it's this. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6.5. The original Deuteronomy 6.5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
your soul and your strength. And in this new covenant, it is not a command for us to fail at, as I thought it was for a long time. It is not a command for us to fail at. It is an invitation and a blueprint again for a life lived primarily in the spirit of God. You love God with all your heart. It's to practice his presence. It's to keep in step with the spirit. It's to fix your eyes on Jesus, to fix your thoughts on him. It is to practice his presence, to learn his to learn his voice and to do all he says. You see, it's heart first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and then your soul. Let your mind and your will and your emotions follow the spirit of God as it leads your spirit, as he leads your spirit, as you are one with him. Spirit first, life in the spirit first, always practicing his presence, always listening for his voice, always doing what he says. And then your your understanding will follow. We're not to lean on it. Proverbs 3, 5. And your actions will flow from that place. The goal of the gospel is not a call to frenetic activity for the sake of activity. Martha learnt this. She was building house. She was doing good for Jesus. She was getting food ready, getting the place looking nice for him. And she's so frustrated that this great commission that she's carrying to do good things for Jesus, that her sister Mary is not sharing in it. And she says she prays, actually, but she calls out, Jesus, Mary's left me to do all this stuff by myself. Tell her to come and help me. And Jesus calls out, calls back to her twice. He calls her, I think, because in our busyness, in our activity, sometimes we can miss the voice of the Lord. And he, and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, only one. Remember, three, two, one. Mary has chosen what is right and what she has will not be taken from her. Now, he left the very next day. And so what she had was taken. I believe it was a prophecy that Mary was going to receive and Martha too, the spirit of God, which allows us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our thoughts on him, to acknowledge him in private moment by moment before we acknowledge him before men and angels. And so I want to, I want to encourage you with all my heart. It's been the golden thread through all of these talks. You live a life of obedience by learning his voice and loving him enough to do what he commands you to do, what he calls you to do, even when it doesn't make sense. You live a life of worship practicing his presence out of that place you start to bear his authority the authority of true love for those around you and you will act heart soul and strength it's mirrored in proverbs 3 5 trust in the lord with all your heart in other words love him with all your heart don't lean on your own understanding let your soul your mind your will and your emotions follow your spirit and in all you all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's your strength in all your ways. Acknowledge him. These two things, Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6, they track with Deuteronomy 6, 5. Spirit first, then your thoughts, your mind, your will, your emotions, and then your actions will follow. And in that place of intimacy and obedience and worship will come the authority of God and the fulfillment of the Great Commission through your life in your generation to the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Bless you. Thanks for listening. Father, would you move our hearts towards you and would you release, Lord, for all of us a new grace for intimacy, a new grace for worship, a new grace to see 
and hear you to understand what you're doing to align ourselves and to go 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 to make disciples of all nations to baptize lord this is the most glorious invitation it's not a responsibility to be feared or hard work to be shirked lord god this is the most glorious invitation it is food to do the will of our father it is a glorious privilege to be involved in the work of god in our generation father would we see it for what it is and run with you into all that you have planned for us for your people and for this generation in jesus name amen